Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. We're here on a beautiful day with a, another special guest. This is Parker Braun. If my research is collect, correct, I believe he's 21 years old. He's going to be 22 soon, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He's a young dude. Uh, he is a commercial broker with Allied Commercial. And I want Dakota to explain how he met this guy. I think Dakota met him first. Dude, I don't know. How do we meet? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I, I think I DM'd you on Facebook because I was getting interested in real estate. I hadn't started yet where I'm at, but I was like, these guys are onto something. So I reached out because I don't know. You said maybe like mentorship or something in there. I'm like, I want to learn from these guys. So yep. I remember now. Yeah, so you just messaged me one day randomly, and then uh, and then you just like popped in. And you're like, bro, yeah, I, me- I talked to you one time, and then you just like walked in the office and then like introduced yourself, and then uh, yeah, you were just like, man, I don't know, I don't know how I can help or what I can do, but like I just wanna, I wanna, you know, help you guys out any way I can, and like uh, that was that was all I remember. I would think I was in that office over there, yeah, in the podcast room, the old podcast room, and then you just like walked up and was like what up sparge my way in yeah you're like i'm here (laughs) well i remember dakota calling me too and he said hey this guy named parker he's pretty cool he's young guy he seems really ambitious he wants to uh list our property for rent because we had it up for sale by owner as a rental and i was like oh okay like what's he like and he was like well he's gonna be at the office later so then i got to come meet parker too and i thought that was from you just like walking in like I thought you just kind of walked into I mean, our office. The relationship was, but yeah, yeah. no, that was a, that was probably about a year late. I mean, I was in the business at that point, right. so. But yeah, that's no, awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. Awesome. So, what got you interested in doing real estate? Was your family in it? Did you just look at all your options and went like, man, I really want to be a real estate agent? Yeah. That would be great. No, it just made sense to me. Like I always loved real estate. Um, so I got started in business relatively young. I was about 17 when I started in my first uh, medical device startup. So I was a sales rep for them. So it was like a really like punch in the mouth version of business. You know, you have to, re- uh, you know, produce a return for your shareholders. And, and so I was looking at, well, where do I place this money once I make it? Right. And so that's where I looked to real estate and it just clicked for me. And I think the biggest thing that clicked was I knew that I had some sort of business intellect at a young age and I wanted to be in charge of my own investments. So uh, from that, you know, I look at the stock market, Apple's not going to call me when they want to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what can I do that allows me to control my own ship, right? Make my own de- decisions, be my own executor in this. And uh, real estate just made sense. And, and then the, all the financial aspect that everyone probably watching already knows, you know being able to get cash flow while getting appreciation, while getting depreciation and tax write-offs. And so overall, just an awesome asset class. So how did you get to be a broker specifically then? If you were like going on the investment side, how'd you be like, go from like investor to, okay, I'm just going to be a broker. Yeah. So, uh, coming from a lot of the things I did throughout going through college and working in high school, I realized I loved working with businesses. That was the number one thing. So um, I, I thought about real estate as a career. I just didn't know I'd do it full time. Um, so um, when I finally left university, I was interviewing for some private sector jobs and um, I got approached by a mutual friend of mine and, and somewhat of a mentor. And he's like, hey, you know, we're starting this brokerage. We think that you would really be good and you should apply. So I started thinking about that path and realized I already love it enough to do it for me. Uh, what if I did it for others and in turn learned before I even had the opportunity to invest myself. So um, 
Yeah. And looking back, I've been in the business now about a year, approaching a year and a half, and it's been phenomenal. The, the, the amount I've learned and, you know, when I'm el eligible to do investments as we're getting close, we were talking about that just to last night. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I stepped into the brokerage world mainly cause I loved working with businesses. I liked helping investors get a return and, uh, helping people grow their net worth. And that's what I get to do every day now. That's awesome. So you said yeah. that you went to college. Did you finish college? Did you quit college? Uh, it looked like you might have like graduated early or something, or were you just going for like a two year or a three year? And then would you recommend it um, to folks who are like 17, 18, don't know what they want to do necessarily with their lives? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So I, I had an opportunity really early on, um, and it was to start taking college classes while in high school. So that was something I took advantage of. Um, you know, I knew I was going to go down the business route but didn't necessarily know I'd get to advance it as fast as I did. So by the time I graduated from high school, I actually had my associate's degree. Oh, dang. And so I rolled into local university, Purdue, Fort Wayne University, the satellite, satellite campus uh, up here in Fort Wayne, and uh, graduated within two years of that. So I essentially graduated what was effectively two years early in comparison to my peers, um, but essentially working full time throughout there, I had a lot of like real world experience. Uh, in terms of what I recommend it to others, um, the process that I did was not easy um, and it gives you a lot of discipline, but I think there's a lot of other ways you can build that discipline to be, you know, 17 to 19 and essentially just focusing on the end goal of I'm going to be something, I'm going to be a business owner, I'm going to make my own decisions one day. I don't think college necessarily is, is the key to that. Um, for me, with commercial brokerage, um, if people want to get into commercial real estate from the brokerage side, degrees are often required. Um, but there's a lot of people that I know that transact more in the commercial real estate space that have no degree. You know, they just learned it by trade, which is what I found is my degree didn't necessarily make me the broker I am. It was my mentor at the brokerage. It was the clients I'm surrounding myself with. Um, so I think if someone's 17, you know, just in high school and they're motivated, they need to seek out resources like you guys. Cause honestly, like you guys are the ones, you know, watching your guys' content is what puts people in that mindset of like, I don't have to take the normal path. Like there's a path way different and it could be way more rewarding than like the average herd. So, yeah. All right. You heard it from Parker. If you're going to do college, be super smart, get it done fast. <laughs> so you can get your life started or just listen to the Tony to go to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. Subtle plug, subtle plug. I've got, I've actually got a funny story that I remember uh, when Parker came in. So Parker was coming in to help us out, uh, with like some cold calling of like trying to see like the sales side. <laughs> and I remember like, just like, I don't know, even like we're looking at you now, I'm like, dude, you look like a, like a doctor, like a dentist, like you're very uh, like professional and you're like, all right, I gotta stay professional. And I remember um, we were talking to a seller and uh, <laughs> I can't remember what happened, but I was just like, yeah, well, we're not the buyers for you. So uh, have a good day. And basically like told him to F off and like, <laughs> like it was like nice, but then not exactly like the nicest. It was more just like, hey, we're not for you. Yeah, you want too much for your property. We're not interested. See ya. Yeah. And you were like, oh, <laughs> you guys are like that. You're like, <laughs> you guys are like, no, like, like, you're allowed to say whatever you want to customers. And it's like, well, when you own the company. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, it's, it's a different world from where I'm at. Like, you guys are dealing with more of the general public. And yeah. with that comes from very, the general public is an odd being, right? Like, the people you run into are just like, some of the questions you hear, the, the, you know, you can read the news and you get an idea of who's out there. So, you guys are often dealing with different people than I am. But no, it's a different pace inside the the bullpen here than it is where i'm at because yeah. it's 
very slow and methodical. We like, we like to work fast, but commercial really cap. I mean, it doesn't cap you, but our deal process takes significantly longer what you guys do. But yeah. no, that was awesome coming in here. He's like, no, the guy was kind of rude to you. Yeah. So it was definitely warranted. He just didn't lash out, but it was, it was pretty yeah. awesome. He was like, I can't remember the exact <laughs> scenario. Do you remember what the guy said? No, he was combative on price, I think. Like yeah. he, he didn't agree with what you had a like estimated his value oh, to be okay. and so he's like i don't think and then you're just like you're not the right customer have a good day bye yeah. and boom i was like whoa yeah you're <laughs> like dude that was uh we don't we don't do that where i'm from yeah <laughs> are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place we've been there before and we've tried several different crms and re simply has been the best re simply tracks your kpis does automatic follow-ups for you and even records your incoming phone calls the system is simple to use and has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. We put the link in the description. Check it out now. Uh, that's going to be a funny quote that comes out of this uh, podcast. Parker said, the general public is kind of this weird animal. What yeah, did you yeah, say? Yeah, an odd being. <laughs> an odd being. Yeah, yeah, it is. The general public is an odd being. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. For sure. I like it. So when you were getting started in commercial real estate, you, you already had some sales experience. Did you get some good training? Yeah, so I, I worked in a variety of different sectors. Uh, so it wasn't like necessarily one that I worked within. So like I said, I started in a med device startup. Um, you know, the sales experience there, the actual amount of sales completed wasn't high. I grant I'm a 17 year old guy trying to sell durable medical equipment. Like mm -hmm. picture that, picture me having to walk into doctor's offices like, I had some sales, they might've been sympathy sales, but nonetheless, you get to understand like, Hey, I got to present myself really well, really fast to these people. Um, from there, I moved on and went to a corporate insurance company specializing in medical malpractice located here in Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was a different beast altogether. This was a, uh, it's a Berkshire Hathaway company. So it's very structured. Um, and I was an intern there. Um, it, my time there was really good and I did have some mentors there, but that's a different, you're, you're selling a very niche product to a very niche audience. And so for me, that was malpractice insurance to dentists and that was it. Wow. Um, so nonetheless, you get good at cold calling, communicating over the phone. I've always said like dentists are like special people because they're usually like, don't bother me type mm -hmm. people. So when you're calling them and talking about their insurance, they're like, who is this guy? Why is he calling me? So my specific account I had was, uh, it was actually above and beyond, it was maxillofacial surgeons. So these guys were like, take normal dentists and then add like eight years of school onto them. Like every second they talk to me, I'm losing them money is how they act. So you have that mindset. And then, then my account was in New Jersey and these people like, New Jersey people, like they're not, they're, they're perfectly fine people. They're just very direct. So I remember like one of my first cold calls, like I'm calling this doctor. I'm like, Oh man, like this guy's going to tear me up. And so I call him and, and he, he's like, who are you? What do you want? And I realized like, I'm like, you know what? I can't take it personal. That's just how these people are. But I'm like, you could tell these people like their mom died or they want a million dollars and they have the same reaction. Like stop bothering me. Yeah. So it, was, it, was, it was, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, it was overcame cold call fear right there. Uh, cause these people, you have to, like I said, make a good presentation quick. Um, and then lastly, actually, this is where I think that we first kind of communicate as well too. Um, were both of you in the car industry or was it just you? Just me. Just you? Tony was in there for a couple months. Okay. 
That's what I thought. I thought both of you had experience, but nonetheless, I I worked at a dealership, um, and that a lot of people in the like private world discount car sales. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like you for so you never hear. Oh, he's just a brain surgeon. Like that's never been said, right? But like, you'll hear. Oh, he's just a car salesman. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well that car salesman there makes four times as much as you do, and he reads people quicker than anybody else can because car sales you're 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 um, um, qualifying right then and there. You're overcoming objections right then and there. You're reading the the feel of how you know how are they reacting to what you're saying when you're talking about price or the features of the car. So, car sales to me, out of all those, besides forgetting some of the corporate hierarchy and understanding how that works and your placement in there, car sales was honestly one of the most important sales experiences I had. Um, and so, stemming from that, I mean, none of that necessarily correlates to commercial real estate, but I had all three of those um, under my belt at 20 graduating with my bachelor's degree and I'm going, okay, now what's next? Let's take on this real estate thing. Did you do well in car sales? So I started out in, in a BD role, um, because I started out BDC you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like business development. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, business development. Um, and so, um, I started out and I did okay in the beginning, but there was a period of time where there was, uh, it's like COVID occurred. So there were some sales guys off the floor. So I got to go out and no, it was a lot of fun. I sold, I sold a car my first day, which was good. But, uh, yeah, like it, it was it was a good experience. And so just getting to understand and see how people react. Once again, the general public is an odd being. Put that on a T-shirt. Uh, but it's true. Like you get to see how they interact and react. So um, but that's something I found as I interviewed for the, through the private sector world is oftentimes people are like, oh, like they just skip over the car sales part. And it's like, well, that's applicable. Like that's more applicable than most people realize. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no question that I like people always discount that or like the sales training. They think that car sales people are uh, very high pressure car sales people. And like, realistically, the good ones are not like the good ones aren't high pressure. They're going to help you actually through the process and then like ask you for the right questions. And then you won't even like really realize it. I actually just met a guy. Um, we were at like this, uh, like I can't remember like a, fundraiser thing or whatever but there's a guy there that actually like came up to me and I sold him a vehicle like four years ago and he's like he's like dude I remember you I, he bought an Equus he's like I wasn't even planning on buying a car or whatever he's like you sold me on that car he's like this and he's like talking to the whole table like you were one of the best salespeople there was or um, and it, it was just funny but I definitely feel like people have a negative uh, view on the training and stuff. Yeah. So like, did you have uh, sales training and like how much sales training did you have and how does it differ from like whenever they're talking about, you know, talking to a doctor and then talking to, to the general public? Yeah, no. So I think it, it's really just the, I guess I'll take your question and change it a little bit, like, cause to a doctor or even into my world now. So at the dealership, I did have some sales training. The sales manager there at the time was lights out. Like I would honestly say he was probably like, like how you would be, I never got to interact with you in the car business, yeah. but I'd feel like what dealership was it and who was it? it? I, can I say on here? I don't know. Yeah. I, I can say, all right. Yeah. It was uh, Scott Graham at uh, Lexus, mm. Lexus Fort Wayne. Okay. Um, Scott was just on top of it. And so like he took me, he heard my BD calls. He could go back and listen through voicemails. Yeah. He's like, Hey, I think you have something. You should, you know, you should really look at this. And um, he, he could just cut through everything. And he would be like, watch this, follow me. And I just kind of tag along with him. And I just watch him like, 
not and not even a bad way. Like he genuinely wanted to help them, but he knew at the end of the day he had to make a sale and it was going to be mutually beneficial not only for that person but himself. And I could watch him take all their objections and it was just like putty in his hands. And yeah. it like everything he could it was like a big game of chess and he was always going to win in the end. Um so there I did have good sales training. So I got to see like how that path uh you know could be could be good for me. The side note, the main reason why I didn't stay there is because I found that there was zero loyalty in that business. And I watched sales managers get walked out. Oh, yeah. You know, and so it's one of those things that like the better you are, the bigger you grow at those dealerships, the larger your target. And so I was like, once again, reaffirm the idea of I want to be my own thing. So going back to your question, though, of like how the sales training is applicable, you know, in car sales, it's a very emotional sale. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much based off emotion. Um, you're that's why it's important to get them sold that day because mm-hmm. if you allow them time to think on it, most of the time people can justify themselves out of why they need a new car because most people don't need a new car, right? There's mm-hmm. very few circumstances where someone does. So um, in my world of commercial real estate, it's a very logical process. So logical to the fact that it takes three to six months to get through all of the, you know, the correct procedures and processes. So mm-hmm. not only does the sale have to be correct emotionally day one. It has, they can sleep on it for six months before they decide if it's actually for them. So um, the sales trainings are are vastly different because one, you have to, you know, really make sure your financial analysis is correct on one. And the other one's more so just having better communication skills and knowing like essentially just justifying to them in that, in that car lot, why it's going to be a good decision today for their family to take it home. So, yep. And how did you, how did you actually do that? Did you, because my tactic was always to use logic to explain to them because they're already emotionally there. Yeah. And then I just repeated back to them what they said before. Hey, you've said you've been thinking about this for three months. You've already been thinking about it. Why do you need another day to think about it? But then I used a lot of the logic for them. So like, you know, you say it's like emotional, but my key thing is they're already wanting to do it. Otherwise it wouldn't be here. Sure. So now I just explain why it actually does make sense and give them every reason. Like, did you do the same thing or how did you actually like yeah. do it different? Yeah, no, I don't think there was too much difference there to an extent. I mean, I, I feel like at that time I probably wasn't as aggressive as I could have been. You were or, just like, that leather smells good, doesn't <laughs> it? Smell <laughs> that new car smell. Yeah. It's, it's so nice. No, I mean, it really, I, I think it's like what you said, essentially you just kind of Go over like what they because they'll tell you what they think right away mm-hmm. open up oh wow mm-hmm. like oh wow it's like what you know what is it what do you like oh i like this and this and then that's what you can go back to when they start going well hey i know you really said you like this about the car and then you just start to requantify mm-hmm. you know why why they were even looking at this one why we're even sitting here at this table talking about it yep. so so yeah i definitely agree with you i think there's a little bit of using their own yeah, language the, against them. That's the interesting thing about houses too, because we we deal with the same thing. But it always seems like once somebody makes a decision, a decision, then they're gonna go with that decision. Even in like, you know, in real estate, it's really gotta not make sense for them to back out. Right. Because like uh, when we put something under contract, they got thirty to sixty to ninety days that they could get out too for us. But like realistically, once they make the decision, the decision is the hard part. Putting the pen to paper to make the decision. Once they made that decision, I would say 90% of the time it's already done, whether it's like, you know, car sales or whether it's real estate or like even if the process is long, I still feel like it's like getting them to make the decision right then and there is like the most important thing. Yeah, there's power in action. And most people don't have that mindset just to like, yeah. When they, they can assess, know it's correct for them and, and take. That's why, you know, we're in real estate because yeah. oftentimes our investors are the exact same way. Like they have the financial capability. They like the numbers. They just need to tell the, they just need that person to tell them it's time to do it. This mm-hmm. is a perfect opportunity for you. So, yep. yeah. So talk about your start in commercial real estate 
And then some of the bumps or like the early struggles or the things that you had to learn and how uh, is there like a relationship now where you're starting to see more exponential growth? Has mm-hmm. it kind of taken off? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I got into the industry, um, you know, essentially to review, I'm a 20 year old guy and I'm stepping into an industry where guys have been doing it longer than I've been alive. And so there's a lot of people off the surface that are going to go, oof, this is not going to be good. The difference is, um, and what I came to find is there's a lot of flaws with the current available people out there that can assist you with these sorts of transactions. So I made it my goal to a understand those flaws and then do precisely the opposite. So that when these people that have been long-term investors are sick of that being the only options available, I'm here to play cleanup. So when I got in my advice, my advice essentially was network. That's all you can do. I think I've said earlier that our average deal process is usually anywhere between three and six months. And most, I mean, it can be longer depending on if it's a development or whatever you're working on. So a guy starting out like three to six months, at least before you're going to start to see that, that curve of a, you got to learn everything like drinking water from a fire hose, and then you got to go deploy it and understand it. So, um, essentially when I started, I networked, I, I talked to bankers, lawyers, CPAs, um, mutual real estate people, um, literally anybody that would take a meeting, a coffee meeting, I'd go and talk to them. Um, so from there, I think, you know, the biggest struggle was being front of mind for people when they think real estate, because, you know, when you first get started, you're the new guy. And so it's kind of like, do we trust them with this transaction? Um, and as I progress now and I'm, you know, approaching a year and a half, that's starting to change. So I would say that the growth is exponential, um, because it starts to compound, you know, you got a couple deals in your pipeline and then you get a couple more and now you're juggling a couple deals at a time and you're executing some leases in between there. Um, but it's not, it is not, it definitely isn't an easy business to start, but no business is easy to start. I've never heard one entrepreneur sit back and be like, Hey, it was super easy. It was awesome. I woke up and million dollars in my bank account and it just doesn't happen that way. So for us, Oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's a, I love what I do. It's so awesome getting to help people and our processes our our deal flow. It's almost so long at times. And it's once again, I want to state like, it's not because we want it to be that way. If there's the broker's way we do it obviously as quick as we can, but right. just the legal due diligence, like when we get to that closing table, it's so much more rewarding. Cause it's like, man, like we've been yeah. through every process together for three to six months and we're just now getting here. Um, yep. But yeah, I think it is an exponential growth. It's compounding, but you definitely have to front load a lot of the work without any expectation of a return, which is something that most people won't do, but I'm happy I was able to make that choice. How are you different from your friends or your competitors? Um, you know, I think the number one thing is I'm relatively aggressive uh, when it comes to the market. So uh, I'm not afraid, you know, access to communication for brokers is a, is a pretty large thing. Um, a lot of brokers aren't easy to communicate with. Um, you'll hear a lot of clients and people complain about every time they call a commercial broker, you get their voicemail and it's, it's not wrong. It's, it does seem to be a common thing and, and maybe because most of them are busy, I don't know, but either way they're not answering. So that's something that I, I, you know, if people want to have a phone call at eight o'clock at night, let's have a phone call, you know, and I have that ability cause I'm young. So I also understand that there's people with kids and responsibilities outside of what I have, but that's an advantage I have right now. So I lean into it. And so I give a lot of my attention and focus to my clients. Um, but besides from that, you know, there's, there's listings that we've brought on and instead of just putting our sign out front and waiting for the calls to come in, 
you know, I'd go make 350 calls to investors across the country for that specific asset class. And then by the end of the week, we had, you know, 13 offers yielded. So, um, you know, I think it's important to be aggressive in our market because it's historically slow. Brokers not being active does not make the process any faster. So, you know, the faster I work, the faster we can get into that, you know, typical deal flow. Mm -hmm. So earlier you talked about like, you know, everybody's got experience based on, you know, your age, even like people have been doing it longer than what you have. But yeah. what do you think about like, uh, like the person versus the experience? Cause that's what I always think about is like, I'd rather have a person like, let's say it's flooring. I'd rather have the person that's done flooring for a year and actually cares about what they're doing and doing their work really well than the person who's done it for 25 years. But then like, they just don't care. Cause that's what I've noticed is it's not about how long you've been doing it. In my opinion, it's about how, like who you are as a person yeah. more than anything. But I want you to talk about more like who you are and what you think is like basically similar to Tony's question, but how you're really different versus like experience. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, the experience is starting to get there. Uh, I've seen a lot of different deal flows. So my confidence level on a lot of items has increased significantly to the point where I feel relatively confident to advise a client. Um, but no, I think personality is huge. I mean, yeah. people like doing business and people like winning. It's way better when you're doing it with a friend. And yeah. so I think that's one thing that I like to do is, you know, and it's not even in a more of a business sense. That's just kind of how I'm wired. Like, I don't like doing business with people that I feel uncomfortable around. Right. Like if I don't, it's not a right, like you said, it's not a right fit. See you later. Yeah. Right. Like I maybe don't do it like that, but, <laughs> but, but it's nonetheless, it's a conversation of, yeah, I don't think I'm going to best advise you here. So I like working with people that, you know, we gel and I get along with almost, almost everybody. So, um, but yeah, I think it's just, you know, having a good personality, being open to communication, like I stated earlier, but also celebrating the wins outside of business. You know, it's not unheard of for me to text clients on birthdays or I see things on Facebook or LinkedIn. That's like, hey, congratulations, because I genuinely want to be a part of that with them. When I want them to think of success and how they're doing well, I want them to think, hey, you know who's been there with me? Parker has. And he's been great to work with. And I want to continue it when I want to do my next successful venture. So yep, that leads perfectly my next question. Oh, man. When, when do you celebrate? Because that's always the hard part whenever we're doing real estate. And I feel like our like our <laughs> process is a lot shorter than yours, but it's still long compared to like the car business where like oh, you yeah. buy and sell, bam, you make a commission, you get paid the next week, you're celebrating the day you sell it because cool, you did it. <laughs> But in real estate, for anybody who's like new to or anything, you put the property, you buy the property, you know you got a good deal, then you rehab it, and then you go and you put it on the market, then you get an accepted offer, and that's when I usually like start to celebrate. Then the offer falls through because the <laughs> inspection came back and like something happened. Then then you get it back under contract again, you start doing the profit, then you're like, yes, we made money again. <laughs> then you're like, oh man, you go through a bunch of bull crap, you find out that your profit goes down even more, and then it closes, and by that point, it's hard to celebrate even when you finally get the money because it's like hard so when do you celebrate yeah no it is a roller coaster it is like there's never one time where you, you, you never feel too confident that's that's kind of how you never get i guess it's just a nothing excites you too much and nothing disappoints you too much you're kind of mm -hmm. just like i'm stoic. Here. yeah yeah <laughs> stoic yeah that's the word i'm looking for um no it, i think that like i said the times that i celebrate most is when uh, when we're sitting at that closing table. Cause it, you, I mean, it's, it's a done deal. Yeah. We've been in it so long at that point. I've seen uh, it fall through at the closing table, but I have, <laughs> so I've heard, I've heard horror stories. I've never been a part of one that has had that happen, but um, I know it can, but it, it, I think at that point it's just, there's like a relief in the room, usually yeah. from both sides in commercial. Yeah. Cause 
I, I don't want to scare people from away from commercial. Not every mm-hmm. deal takes right. six months. We You can do it more efficiently. It helps tremendously when you have two parties that are very agreeable. But by the end, you can just feel everybody's happy to be in that room, wherever title company you're at. It's like, we're here. Let's get these papers inked. Somebody's leaving with a property and somebody's mm-hmm. leaving with a check. So I think those are the periods of time where I celebrate. The problem is, and maybe you guys can relate, and a lot of the people in your office that are like really go-getters is, I mean, I try to set my expectations super high. So sometimes it's difficult because you set them maybe too high or so high that's kind of like, hey, yeah, we got this one done, but I'm not even close to where I want to be. And mm-hmm. so I think it's one of those things where maybe more so on my part, I have to manage my expectations personally a little bit more because obviously you want to celebrate when you surpass or achieve a goal. But if you're setting your goals you know, pretty, pretty high, almost to an unrealistic standard, and that's the the thing you're using as your celebration factor, you might not be able to achieve it. So right. um, that's something I've been like considering and looking as I'm starting to progress and the exponential growth is starting to occur is, you know, when do I celebrate? So that's a good question. I think closing table a little bit, but like, yeah, it's still kind of like I have an internal goal that I want to hit. Yeah. I would say, I think a lot of people struggle with that and what, what we definitely try to do, and I'm not going to say we're the best at it, but what we try to do is one, create a lifestyle that we want, of course. And so like, uh, I just, told you we're gonna i haven't even told tony yet we're gonna start bringing a massage person in every two weeks <laughs> getting massages in the office every two weeks sound good i can stop by the office <laughs> yeah. yeah so we I'll got be- we're gonna have a couple hours so uh there'll be six of us uh so it'll be awesome but but then also like just trying to uh celebrate the milestones because yes you can have a massive goal like dude we have massive goals but it's like okay when we hit this amount then we're gonna celebrate. When we hit this, we're gonna celebrate. When we hit this, we're gonna celebrate. And that's where yeah. I think the most important thing to do is because like you said, in real estate, you have to manage your emotions. And so if you're always staying here, you're not actually living that great of life. Like the highs and the lows of life are where yeah. like you actually start to experience like the greatest things. Like when you're at the lowest low and like you've you've hit something or like you know, you're just working really hard and then you come up, Dude, that's some of the best moments of my life when I feel the most accomplished and the most happy is when I just experience something that sucked really yeah. bad. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just trying to create those, I would definitely like say that's important. Otherwise, you stay in that mellow because right. you're just regulating your emotions. I can't get too happy right now. I know we got it under contract. I know we're making 150 grand. We can't we can't celebrate until we get closed. And then by the time that we actually close it's gone. I'm not even happy anymore because now we're worried about the next one that's closing next week that we got to spend that money on. Yeah. And so it's like a repetitive cycle that I've noticed is like, it's, I think it's a hard thing for, for high achievers to figure out how to celebrate. So, yeah, I'm definitely still learning. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely still learning in that. And I think it's important, but my mentor has been pretty good about it. Like they're says like, come on, what's wrong? Why aren't you excited? I'm like, I am excited. I'm just focused on like what next steps are because it's not to the finish line yet. That's yeah. that's just kind of how I'm wired. But yeah, I I think the milestone I, or the benchmark idea is probably a pretty good idea. Like when we hit this, we do X, right? Yes. We go out and celebrate. Just some. do it, dude. I get a massage Whatever, exactly in, in the Dude, office. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. just like set, <laughs> set certain things because like it is so... It's so difficult because you're just gonna keep going bigger and bigger and bigger, and right. then and then you start to wonder like, what am I even doing this for? Like that's like I've kind of gotten to that point. I was probably at that point like three months ago. I'm like, dude, I'm working more than I've ever have. We're making more money than I've ever made. Like, and like, you know what's different? Nothing. Like my life is the same. Like, yeah. what am I really doing this for? And so like, just remind remembering that. Yeah that there's a reason that you're doing this and like create milestones. That way you can at least get little glimpses of like what you're actually doing. I think that it'll actually help you go further in the long run. 
Yeah, no, I definitely have to start incorporating that. It's an odd realization to have that though. When yeah. you realize you're like, wow, like I need to start like not, celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. Like celebrating. And I think when you get started in business, you're just so nose to the grindstone. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to push through it no matter what, but yep. yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Also unrelated plug here. Uh, you mentioned, uh, peop- the process taking 60 to 90 days. Dakota and I bought this office pretty freaking fast. So if you come across an event space where mm-hmm. we can hold seminars, do real estate yeah. investors association, or if you guys who are watching or listening right now <laughs> know of one here in the Fort Wayne area, you're putting me against the audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's some motivation. That's yeah. some motivation. Well, you wanna... can hire Parker to list it and then just inside, like give us the, he'll yes. give us the uh, pocket listing. Exactly. Like, hey, I know a buyer for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. we do. We want a big open space. So with some pretty high ceilings. So yeah. uh, probably a minimum of, I don't know, 3000 square foot. It'd yeah. be like the goal. I love it. No, yep. there's a couple options out there, so I'll send them to you guys. Okay, yeah. I'm pumped. I, realistically, though, like, I don't know. I guess I don't know if you have a price uh, range, but I think our cap would probably be like, I don't know. I don't really want to spend more than like 350 sure. 400 But if we're going to spend that much, I want it to be really modern and really nice. Yeah. We'd, we'd probably have to take our time and actually get like a commercial loan and stuff. We're going to do yeah, that right yeah. now. If it's on the market, if it's off market, we will figure it out. Seriously, <laughs> we'll figure it out. If there's a deal, you have a deal. Yeah, exactly. Right? If yeah. there's a deal, we will figure out how to pay cash for it. And you don't have to worry about it. It could be 400000 We'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. I'll send some one. options to you guys. Yeah, if you find one, I have, I, I have some in mind. All right. So, what? how much business have you done, if you want to tell the audience? Yeah. And uh, what does your business look like today? So, for folks who are like, like numbers, you know, yeah. if somebody's watching and they're like, Oh, I want to be like Parker. Yeah. <laughs> they want to be like, yeah. What, how much money are you making? Or like, what are you projected to make? And like, yeah. How, what does your business look like? Yeah. So I, uh, so I, I talked, <laughs> I talked to him. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to give like direct numbers, but I'll give you an idea. So like, I think a lot of people He's have like between a hundred <laughs> and a million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think a lot of people have the misconception in commercial that like, Oh, every listing you guys get, it's like $80 million. It's like, well, maybe in some parts of the country, but we're in, we're in Northeast Indiana. So uh, we have a good mix of owner occupiers. We have a good mix of investors, uh, landlords and leasees. So um, I guess I should start with what does my business encompass? And then I can get into like, you know, what, what I think we'll do. Um, so, you know, Allied Commercial is a full service commercial real estate firm. So everything from brokerage to property management to development. So our sister company is Michael Kinder and Sons, the uh, plan build design firm in Fort Wayne. So we have the ability to take a bare piece of land and be a part of every part of that process from site acquisition all the way down to plan the design of the building to building the building all the way down to the paint color and furniture inside. So it's the most turnkey version of a development that you can have. Our property management side is, is head up by uh, Craig Kislowski. Uh, he's got 30 years of experience. So he, he brings a lot of insight to the asset management side of things that makes our investors ability to invest a whole lot easier. And then you go to the brokerage side, which is, which is me and Tyler Binkley. And, um, you know, so we represent all assets or all facets of commercial real estate from land, uh, office, medical office, industrial, retail, um, and then we also represent landlords uh, and, and leasees as well, leasors and leasees. So um, that being said, we have a wide variety of people that we help. And so that is also different from most other places in commercial real estate. You know, you go to a larger city, somebody 
you know, specifically focuses in multifamily and that's it. And that's one that I left off that list because I wanted to highlight that one specifically. But multifamily uh, is another big asset class of ours that we're able to transact. And we actually also have a separate property management division that focuses specifically on the multifamily asset because it is a, as you guys know, you guys are into multifamily now and have been for a little bit, haven't you? Uh, our biggest one is a fourplex right now. So not like too big, okay. but we definitely are like, trying to so if you have a big one let's know. <laughs> yeah no i mean it's it's definitely it's just uh it's a different asset class in comparison to like a retail shopping center so it takes its own you know special people to to process those so anyways getting back to your question now that we set down the baseline <laughs> of what we do um how, how much money you make parker <laughs> so so uh, cardone wants to know for, how much money <laughs> for for uh for year one um i'll keep it down just for year one uh i did a, a you start out in commercial real estate and they say, Hey, it's going to, you're going to learn. And, um, I did better than I ever would have done in the private sector year one, which is, which was really positive because then, you know, that's a good base point for year two. Um, and we, we hit our goal last year as a sale, as a group. So what was the goal, uh, I'm trying to recall off hand our gross commission. Like, I don't, I don't remember the goal, but it was good. I don't. I didn't set. The, I didn't. I didn't set the goal at the time. That's that's a good point. I I, I do know the number, but I'll keep it nondescript because like, I, the main like Doctor Evil. Well, one million dollars. No. Yeah. No. The main reason. Yeah. The main reason why is so I was stating to him like in town we are we are we have a lot of competitors and so at this point we're trying to keep a lot of our numbers close and we'll eventually publish those at the end of the year, um, but we had we had a for year one commercial brokerage. Because uh, also the, to state, the brokerage is only a year, little about the same amount of time I've been with the brokerage. It's been around for a little over a year and a half now. So for a brokerage starting out, we set a pretty aggressive goal and we beat it. This year, we're set to break uh, a goal that was uh, a pretty significant margin ahead of that by the end of this month. So going into year two, I think, as you said, it accelerates relatively quickly if you do good business and, and, and strong business. Um, and you really provide the value that your investors and clients are wanting. Um, I know that's not helpful at all. And I hope in the future to be back on here and I can tell you the exact numbers as I have them, but it was a solid year one for me personally. And going into year two, it's, uh, I would say just based off initial estimates, I'll double or potentially somewhere between double and triple those numbers. So. It's always good to double and triple your it's numbers. It's a big number, <laughs> and he's gonna triple it. Barker just did the political thing. He's yeah. just like, it, let me let me tell you all of the, di but um, <laughs> there's uh, it's a number. It's a number. <laughs> it has a comma in it. Uh, that's good. Two commas? No, <laughs> not yet. All right, like, like Dakota said at the beginning, so we're between a hundred thousand and a one million. million. So that's precisely there. it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I hope they give more detailed numbers. But I told I told uh, Dakota last night. I said I'm probably not going to get too detailed in the numbers because I was requested. You know, the only person who gives out their numbers is us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, but that, you know what? That goes back to being like actually like being like your, your own thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, and so I think is also transparency to you guys have a following and you guys have like not mentorship directly, but you guys sell a course, right? So like yeah. you almost have to, in order to, in order to accelerate your sales uh, in a way, right? Cause people sure. want to be like you. They're not buying your course to be like someone else. They want to learn from you guys. They want to be like you. So they need to see the path of where they can go. 
um, sometimes for commercial brokerage, I mean, you'll see a brokerage release their overall sales numbers, but you won't necessarily see like individual sales be promoted too much unless like directly asked in like a client to broker setting. So I see, uh, I see Mick always posting his big Mick making, he posts yeah. all his and all of his team and then yeah. like theirs and everything like that. So I have seen it, but that actually brings in a good point. If you guys want to learn about investing in real estate, we do have the course out. I will and throw the advertisement right after this. <laughs> and then we and <laughs> so far this year, we actually, I don't, I don't even know if I told you this, I might've told you this. We just passed our million dollar mark. We've already made a million dollars this year. Good just for you just on wholesales and just on flip, wholesales and flips. Net profit of wholesales wow. and flips. That's yeah, not including rents. It's not including Airbnb monies. That's not including like courses that we've sold. That's not including a bunch of other stuff. Yes. Yeah, so it. if you guys want to learn how to do that, sign up for the course. We'll teach you everything that we know. And it took us four and a half years to figure it out and learn this process. And we're gonna give you guys all the secrets for a thousand dollars. Or if you want to make a payment plan, you can do that too. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We give you marketing strategies like how to pull lists, who we target, and where we find the money. We go over sales, which includes live calls and negotiations, scripts, role playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's anything that we missed, we will create a video to answer your specific question. This knowledge has made us over a million dollars and we're selling it today for just $997. Click the link below. So Bam. thanks for the plug, buddy. Bam. I love it. <laughs> I brought it up for a reason. I knew that was coming. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Type in code Parker Braun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we're yeah. gonna give him affiliate uh, <laughs> now. affiliate marketing. Yeah, I love it. No, but yeah, once so I, I'll, I'll uh, hopefully be back. And we'll discuss numbers when you're when you own your own brokerage. Yeah, I no. guess yeah. That's, I guess so, yeah. He was just talking about the loyalty thing. He's like, I'm not gonna freaking leave them. I just started, right? yeah. I just started with them. That would no, be the yeah. opposite of what I said. My team's amazing. We do a really good job, and you know, for being such a young company. Um, we think outside the box. I think it's pretty evident by the reason why I'm even at this table talking about commercial real estate because not very many people would look to yep. bring somebody on like me. So I'm pretty excited about the future of it. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. That actually brings me to another point is that uh, I hear a lot of other guys and I think I've heard MLA talk about is like during times like this, especially when the market's changing and shifting, it's actually way better to be a smaller company because these big companies who've been doing everything, you know, for as long as they've been doing it and the way they've been doing it, they can't shift or change as fast as you guys can. You can decide how you want it to be and you can you can shift and change very quickly. Yeah, no, it's important to be able to pivot in a moving market. Um, you know, we're lucky enough in our market of commercial real estate that a lot of people turn to us during uh, economic downturns because it's usually a good bet against it. Yep. Secondary to that inflation, you know, I think, uh, the, there's a couple, you know, white paper, I don't know, white papers necessarily the word, but like wall street journal, if you, if anybody trusts them, I don't know, but they were stating that, um, you know, commercial real estate is one of the best hedges against inflation. Mm -hmm. Um, sp specifically the reason why is because, you know, not too often in your guys' world, you get like a triple net lease, right? right. A lease in which, you know, essentially all of the operating costs are associated to the tenant and the owner just gets what's left and then you pay your note and that's yours. Yep. Explain that's that, explain that in simpler terms for people. Yeah. So it's actually something that we run into a lot is a lot of people that are looking to lease in commercial real estate are like, Hey, I found this listing online. I really like it. Here's the price. And then that's where you got to go, you know, whether it's listed with us or whether it's listed within our brokerage, you're like, well, it's actually a triple net lease. So usually there's a couple bucks 
on top of it to cover operating costs. So a couple bucks. It's usually a couple bucks. Yeah, uh, it, it it ranges depending on like if the center is small and it's really well maintained, then that means that their contractors are out there more often. Therefore, their operating costs go up. So there's a couple different leases. Um, We'll get into some, I guess, some vocab, yeah. I guess. So there's a couple different leases. There's gross, modified gross, and then you got triple net. So uh, gross is what modified gross and gross are what most people are used to. It's, you know, I usually tell people gross is just your flat rate. You're paying one payment to the owner. That's, that's it. That's like normal rentals, residential. Yeah. And then you'll see in some of the larger multifamily complexes, you'll see modified gross, which is, hey, here's one flat rate. This is your base rent. And then you're going to pay for some exterior factor most of the time based off usage. So like your water, your electric, your gas, um, trash is usually included, stuff like that. Is that even with percentage of profit deals too? Uh, so in percentage leases, um, yes, they are usually in charge of uh, their their own utilities in full. And then they're, if they're in a center in which um, triple net fees apply, then yes, that would be correct. So, uh, and then triple, then he gets triple net leases, which is what most people, a lot that's of people, what everybody wants, that's what everybody wants. And that, and it's so weird because people, except for the tenant, except, yeah, except <laughs> for the, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, as we say, cost of doing business. Yeah. It, usually if you want to be in a nicer center, it's going to be a little bit more expensive, not only on base rent, but usually on triple net. It's because it's going to be maintained and upkept. The worst thing that can happen is you sign a long-term lease in a place and they aren't charging triple net. So the tenant's like, this is awesome. But mm -hmm. in reality, the place starts falling down around you. And then, you know, nobody wants to come to your business because you're in a, a shabby area or a shabby location. So triple net um, is why a lot of investors go towards retail because uh, that's the most prominent lease that's structured in retail settings. So triple net is the tenant will pay a base rent. They will pay um, uh, their own utilities and then they'll pay an extra essentially fee on top of it called triple net fees. And then underneath triple net fees is essentially like three like subsectors of what you're paying for. And that's property taxes, property insurance, and then something called common area maintenance. And common area maintenance is, is essentially um, the idea of uh, lawn care, snow removal, um, any exterior item of the, the, the plaza or the shopping center where you're at that can be um, needs to be upkept and has ex like third party contractors coming in to do it is cam. So, um, and what they do is they do it based off pro rata share. So just like in commercial, it's always broken down by square foot. So is the triple net fee. So, um, it can get somewhat complicated for people that have, um, you know, no insight as to commercial, but we try to make that process as easy as possible and show them, Hey, this is why you have to do it. And look how nice the center is because of it. Um, and I've had a high success rate with tenants and helping them get placed at a reasonable rate and being comfortable with that lease structure. So, yeah. And then, uh, so let's say the roof goes bad on one of those who pays for that. Yeah. So it, it depends, you know, there's like a thousand different ways in yep. commercial leasing. So there's not, there's not one size fits all. I'll say what's common to our area. Cause I think you guys have viewers like probably across the country, right? Mostly or, Fort Wayne. Mostly yes. Fort Wayne. I'm sure. Yeah. You guys interact with investors. So if for some reason someone's exterior to Fort Wayne, they're probably gonna be like, what? Maybe that's not <laughs> how it's done out here. But here, you know, most of the time, a good rule of thumb is tenant maintains, repairs and replaces the interior landlord maintain, repairs and replaces the exterior. There are certain settings in which, you know, there might be a one-off circumstance where it maybe it's a national corporation and they want to maintain their own HVAC system or they want to maintain the, I mean, there are weird circumstances that you'll come across all the time, but for a good rule of thumb, tenants maintain the interior, 
landlords uh, maintain the exterior. Yep, that's and, what I was gonna say. Is like a Starbucks or something would be yeah. just a hundred percent triple net. They'll take care of all of it. Yeah, they'll come. Yeah, and th and that's gonna be like a contingency on you know them leasing there. Yeah. So it, and and so not only from the landlord's perspective, it's like sweet. That's one less thing I do. Yep. Also, for the potential for looking at the retail asset class, now you have a national tenant in your strip center. Yeah. Or and the value and the confidence it brings to potential buyers in yep. the future increases immensely. So um, retail is a very interesting asset class. We've been lucky enough to transact, I think uh, five to, uh, well, we should close on six soon, but about six retail shopping centers this year. Wow. And um, I, I mean, retail is really fascinating. It's even more fascinating to see like people's faces when you tell them that people that specifically aren't in my industry or people that don't have a, like an idea of how real estate works. Cause they'll be like, I read that retail was dead, you know, and during COVID and it's like, actually that's one of the hottest asset classes that you can get your hands on right now in commercial real estate. So, yeah. Um, so if anyone out there has a retail shopping center, just laying around, uh, feel free to call me. We'll be happy to list it and, and get it moved for you. We have a, uh, laundry list of individuals that are willing to strike right now on those sorts of asset classes. So awesome. So uh, let's talk a little bit about personal development. Mm. Do you do anything regularly uh, for your mind, for your body, for uh, like books, podcasts, that sort of thing, or anything that you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually live about 45 minutes away from my office. So every morning I get a solid 45 minutes to dig into something, whether it's podcast or audiobook. Um, you know, I think it's really important to utilize time that you have that's dormant because I often don't have time to be like, you know, let's sit down and crack into this book. Like that just doesn't happen. Right. I'm constantly moving, you know, so I got to utilize the time that is somewhat dormant. So driving is usually a really good time for me to dig into podcasts or books. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, physical, like I, I hired, uh, I was pretty scrawny, I'd say a few months back. And so now I'm, now I'm ready to, to drop some weight now. <laughs> the first thing you said when you saw me, he's like, wow, you put on weight. I'm like, let's kind of see you too. No, but like, nonetheless, like, um, I, I have a, I have a trainer, uh, Derek Eby, uh, shout out to him. Uh, he's phenomenal and he's really good about working with people in their schedules. And I, I'm still person that likes to like tinker and I'm curious about like, Hey, if I try this in the gym, will that improve me? But I got to the point where the business was taking so much of my time. It's like, I can't sit down and craft, you know, a brand new, mm -hmm. you know, workout plan right so he's the guy that puts puts the guidelines out in front of me and i follow those to my best of my ability so um, that's kind of what i do for for the physical aspect um i'm trying to think what else you threw on there was another one mindset yeah are there any like books or podcasts you'd recommend yeah so obviously uh the tony and dakota podcast <laughs> that's a that's a good one. no um bigger pockets is one that i think a lot of people go to but mm -hmm. i mean it really is like yeah the I don't know. Like when you listen to that, you just kind of feel like every time I leave that going, wow, like that yeah. was, that was a good, that was a good, you know, piece of advice I'd never heard or, and essentially you're getting to listen to guys that have, um, now they're to the point where they usually only inter interview like really big investors. They kind of right. straight away from, but you can watch a lot of the people on there. You can probably go find an episode yeah. from them previously and watch their growth progression. They and have them, the rookie one too. Do they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I okay. I need to check that out. But it was. I like bigger pockets. Um, uh, I like how I built this with Guy Raz. Yeah. Uh, that's a super good one. It, yeah. They've been a little wonky with episodes recently. Not like putting out too many new ones, but um, their old school style of how they do it is is phenomenal. So, yep. um, and then audiobooks um are huge. I've listened to, Audible is 
probably the best thing that was ever invented for my drive. So like right now I'm reading a book called Stolen Focus and I don't know the author's name, but if you find it, you can put it up on the screen yeah. somewhere here. But uh, it's an amazing book and it talks about how like as a society, our ability to focus is dwindling. And I never really thought about how that impacted people, but he said in the book, like, when's the last time you went to sit and read a book? Like, how long could you stay still and do it? And essentially, the whole point he's getting at is, like, as we consume media and as we're, like, living our everyday lives, we've been programmed to be have to switch so fast. And the way we receive media comes in so fast. It's rapid fire. We're on to the next thing, even before we finish the first. Yeah. And uh, it's a really good book. So it's one of those things that, once again, everything I like to listen to, I usually like to have like an uh, like an aha moment from it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's definitely a book that I would recommend to a lot of people, specifically in our business, because it's very important that you can sit down and do a task, but also endure to do the task for a prolonged period of time, because mm -hmm. not everything is cut and dried. And the more that we break focus, the more that we leave to go do something else, um, the quality of the task that we are doing decreases every time we come back to it. So mm -hmm. really good book. Check that one out. Nice. What would you say is your biggest struggle right now? Wow. That's a good question. Um, my, my, uh, ability to structure my day in the most productive way possible. Like I'm trying multiple different aspects of how to make it better, but, and I, I have a feeling that literally everyone's been here at some point, but, um, I know going into the day what I have to get done, but it's still figuring out how do I position this the best way possible to make sure all of it gets done and all of it gets done efficiently and to the best of my ability. Um, so that's something that I've actively been, been, you know, tinkering with as far as like, do I go on sales calls in the morning and do I focus the second half of the day in the office or do I get started in the, do I make my calls in the morning? You know, what goes first, uh, to, to make this the the best day possible. And, um, it still takes work. I've, I've done well with it. You know, nothing's getting like behind or dormant, but nonetheless, I feel that it could be more optimized. So I'd say that's my biggest struggle right now is how to plan my day, how to structure it the best so that I'm the most productive I can be. Uh, do you have a favorite best or most interesting failure? Best or most interesting failure? like a funny story or something that happened that you're like, oh man, uh, that, that, <laughs> that I can share. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm trying to think that's a good question. I might have to come back to that one because yeah, no problem. Cause I'm sure there are. Um, yeah. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but we, we have plenty of moments throughout the day where, you know, we have a good time. What like, it's not strictly work. Like we do work hard. We do work long hours, but nonetheless, like we still have a lot of fun during, but yeah, sorry, I don't have one off the top of my head. No worries. I wasn't prepared for that one. <laughs> do you play? Do you play ping pong? We do not play ping pong. But you know what? We have a new office coming, and I might, uh, I might push for a ping pong table or at least something to like, yeah, break the. Uh, going back to the focusing, you can't sit there. You're not a robot, right? You can't sit there for eight hours and just knock everything out. Like you have to have breaks, and that's a good one. I think ping pong would be a cool thing to have. Dude, do you know Silas Norris? That name I've seen Silas. You know MBN. NBN properties. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's one of the owners of that, but he came on the podcast and then he's the one who like basically oh, suggests yeah. that we get one. And then, um, <laughs> he's having a competition. You should come to it. Even if you don't play, you should just come and hang out because okay. it's, it's going to be a union 12. It's in an August or something, but you, should or you go, could dude. be like somebody's blessing, you know, like a first round pick that they just get to smash. Yeah. Like a good confidence booster. Like, yeah. <laughs> Who's was, to say I won't hold my own. All yeah, right. I mean, right. let's, let's see. No, I won't. Yeah. You awful. could do it. It's fun. 
You yeah. should you okay. should come. I like it. So uh this is our final question. You probably heard this one before. Uh eighty years from now, you're on your deathbed. So this is your legacy. Bringing down the mood. No skipping this one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> next. <laughs> this like, is, can I just skip that one? Let's come back to that one <laughs> next year. This is your legacy or like a billboard that you would put in Times Square with your message on it. Could be a sentence, a paragraph, a mantra. Uh, what final thought or message do you have that you think that the world needs to hear? Wow, that's deep. Um, I think overall, it's it's pretty simple. It's probably been said a million times, but um, just be a good person and um, put others needs before your own and great things will happen sounds I like, like it. sounds like zig ziglar kind of <laughs> no <laughs> sounds like help uh, other people get what they want sounds like something jesus said <laughs> <laughs> pans back to me i got long hair <laughs> no no i that's just like i, I kind of live that way in terms of um i think it kind of goes back to the idea it's fun to win it's fun to do business it's a way better to do it with people that you're friends with, but even more so, if you want something, the best way to get it is to help others get there first. And so, um, you know, we're even going through a deal f process right now where I pushed pretty hard to get something to go through. And there was another property, um, and I didn't even have this person as a direct client. And um, I had a couple friends in the lending side and in the roofing world that would have gotten a benefit if they went with the other property uh, and compared to, to mine. And uh, they ended up going with them. And honestly, like, it's so different. I think I've grown in that way a little bit because I know, like, before I'd been like, this is, this, you know, this sucks, right? I lost on yeah. sale. But at the end of the day, like, I care for their businesses just as much as I do my own. So when I found out, I was like, okay, I lost it. But, you know, hey, at least those two guys have something now. So, like, I, I truly believe that if you help people get what they want, you will get what you want in return. So mm -hmm. uh, where can our listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, wow. so um, they can uh, find my my cell phone number is the best way to get a, get a hold of me. Text calls uh, my cell is two six zero two two three eleven ninety nine, and then my email is Parker at alliedcomre. So maybe we can put that up on the screen mm -hmm. so I don't spell it out. Is that possible? Ask Tony. Yeah, I can. Put it <laughs> I'll, put, I'll put it in the link. The link, the link below. Link in below. <laughs> yeah, let me in the description. Get the merch. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm, I'm very open to communication. I respond to emails, texts, um, calls, and I've even been DM'd before on like Facebook. So just find me by searching my name and I'm happy to help anybody that I can, uh, at least that I think I can help. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have any final thoughts for our viewers before we go? Uh, no, but I appreciate you guys uh, allowing me to come on the podcast, and uh, I know that we all bought tykes, so yeah. <laughs> this, this podcast was accidentally brought to you <laughs> by probably. Ryan Pineda. We've got I got Future Flipper on. Future Flipper. We all bought we got his NFTs. Everybody's after the tykes. Uh, no, Parker but, paid too much for him. Yeah, I did pay too much for him. <laughs> Not yeah. too much. Uh, yeah. uh, we did compare notes, so and I was like, I was like, man, those things are kind of expensive. He was like, well, how much did you buy yours for? I was like. Seven fifty. <laughs> He's like, oh, that's way more. It's not way more. It's two hundred fifty bucks more. I think they're gonna come out even more expensive. Than I think that. they will when they mint in August. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, look up Tykes. If Parker got on the white list, so he was able to get his at a discount compared to the general public. But Dakota and I are in the future Flipper Mastermind, which you can also join 
It's in the link below if you want to be in the same mastermind that Dakota and I are part of. Yeah. But awesome. Thanks for coming on, bro. Thank you. Something that I uh, I said to you and that I guess I'll say to the public too is because uh, it's a good reminder for people. Like you can tell when people are going to be successful even at a young age by like the way that they speak, the person that they are, and then also their mindset, which is like the most important thing. And I think you got the mindset for succeeding and I, we already know you're going to do well. So hopefully we'll have you on in the next couple of years. You're going to be like, dude, I did 40 million. <laughs> then we get the raw numbers. Yeah, you're going to be like, dude. 40 million <laughs> billion trillion and you're, like, and you're like and i celebrate every day of my life <laughs> <laughs> playing ping pong and getting massages yes, exactly <laughs> i love it but well yeah, thank you guys but yeah appreciate you man and uh you're gonna be successful thank you yeah excited to be part of the journey appreciate it thank you guys for watching you're gonna be successful because you watch this show <laughs> peace out peace